0: Hi, I'm Steve Coleman, and we're continuing this morning in our series on the book of Exodus. We're glad that you joined us and trust that God has something for you this morning. I was reading about Leon Legothetis, who in 2005 was a 28-year-old broker working in London. He was suffering from chronic depression, and he decided to quit that job and to set out to hitchhike across America from New York to Los Angeles, specifically from Times Square in New York City to the Hollywood sign in Los Angeles, relying on just $5 a day and the kindness of strangers. You know, he managed to turn that life-affirming adventure, which he successfully completed, into a career as an author, motivational speaker, and TV host. He made a dramatic, sharp adjustment that changed the course of his life. Have you ever decided to reevaluate, readjust, and make a fresh start at something? Maybe it was just a new hobby, a change in diet, a new resolution. Maybe you chose to strengthen a virtue or turn a weakness around. Maybe you too decided to change jobs or decided to become a different kind of person, to listen more, to love people better, to rely more on God. Well, in our section this morning, God makes a fresh start with the children of Israel. In the wake of the horrible failure of the people when they decided to worship an idol in Exodus 32, and then the consequences and restoration of Exodus 33, God reloads and moves ahead with his plan for them, but with some differences. Well, before we begin that, let's open in prayer. Father, It is in your Son's name that we come before you. Thank you for your loving kindness and the opportunity to believe in him. For it is through him that we are made righteous, we have new life, and we have your presence in us. We're grateful that you are at work in us, moving us along as you did the children of Israel in Exodus. Help us see, hear, and understand your word this morning. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain, even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, "'The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, "'slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, "'who keeps loving kindness for thousands, "'who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, "'yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, "'visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children "'and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations.'" Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and pardon our iniquity and sin and take us as your own possession. Then God said, behold, I'm going to make a covenant before all your people, I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth nor among any of the nations, and all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I'm going to perform with you. God here is resetting the law. This is God's control-alt-delete, and he's starting new. Why is he doing that? Well, Israel rejected God in chapter 32, and by extension, the covenant God made with them. Do you remember last week? The agreement God made included the 10 commandments. You will have no other gods before me. Well, Israel ditched that one and dropped God completely out of their vocabulary. They complained to Aaron, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Well, God is reloading now and starting fresh. Verses 11 to 26 in this chapter, contain the stipulations or the code of the covenant, which God's making here. This new start at the covenant will be understood as we compare the covenant with the one that was previously made and broken. First, there's a sameness to the second covenant. There's a distinct similarity between this covenant and the first one. The 10 commandments written on the two stone tablets are the same. Moses went to the top of the same mountain and he stayed there for the same time period, 40 days and nights. The same commands and standards are laid down in the second covenant, just like they were in the first. Israel sinning by worshiping the golden calf did not bring about any change or reduction in God's standards for his people. The covenant which is made here in chapter 34 is virtually a renewal of the former covenant. There are some differences, however. There's something new about this second covenant. There are a number of differences between uh, the way this covenant was given and the way which the first one was given. Well, the first covenant was based on the miracles which God had done in delivering the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. While this covenant looks forward to the miracles which are instrumental in Israel's possession of the land of Canaan. Notice that God is not merely duplicating the first agreement but is seemingly doubling down on his commitment to Moses and the people. Listen to this text from verse 10. I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth nor among any of the nations and all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord for it is a fearful thing that I'm going to perform with you. You know, rather than backing off because of Israel's sin or even keeping the status quo, God is committed to more. This is not a principle we think about too often, but the book of Romans in talking about humanity's sins says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. God's character is to give more grace in response to failure. Looking at more differences. Previously, Moses went to the mountain along with 74 of Israel's leaders in order to ratify the covenant. Now, Moses goes alone to the mountain, apparently not even accompanied by Joshua. Formerly, the people repeated and emphasized that they would obey all of God's commandments, but no promises were made this second time. Also, this code of the covenant given in chapter 34 is significantly shorter than that found in chapters 20 to 23. That initial covenant placed a great deal of emphasis on social matters, such as the treatment of slaves and just compensation for losses caused by negligence or theft. And it used a lot of case examples. I don't believe these examples were dropped from use just because they were not repeated here. But it does seem that the emphasis in this reboot is on commands that focus on Israel's walk with God which had so quickly been interrupted by Israel's idolatry and apostasy. The prohibitions of verses 12 to 17 forbid those contacts with the Canaanites, which might lead Israel to turn from God. It's interesting that God explains how intermingling with the Canaanites could result in the sin of idolatry and lead Israel away from God. He tells them to watch that they make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And then he goes on and talks about how uh, getting too close to them means that you might end up participating in some of the worship of their idols. And further, there might be intermarriage, which could result in your offspring uh, being pulled into worship of idols by their spouses. The practices referred to in verses 18 to 26, are those which would enhance Israel's worship to God by celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, giving offerings to God, and observing the Sabbath. Thus, without referring to Israel's fall and sin at all, this abbreviated statement of the previously given covenant focuses on those commands which will keep Israel from falling again when they are obeyed. Another thing, Moses plays a greater role in this covenant than he does in the first one. Moses alone went to the mountain and saw God where previously it had been Moses with the 74 other leaders of the nation. Moses is becoming the central figure in this expression of the covenant. This becomes even more apparent in the final section of this chapter where Moses' face is said to become radiant when in the presence of God. Let's read this it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him, meaning God. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, And Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak to him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out, he spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, The sons of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. You know, Moses seemed unaware initially of the fact that his face was glowing. When he came down the mountain and came toward the people, they became increasingly aware of the strange look. Can you put yourself in Moses' shoes He must have been real puzzled by what he saw. People were sort of backing away, children looking kind of scared, maybe crying. At that point, maybe Moses may have turned to Joshua or taken him aside to ask what was wrong. Uh, In his amazement, Moses may have rushed into the tent and looked at himself in his wife's mirror. We don't know exactly what he looked like. The Bible just says that his skin shone and it made people afraid. Predictably, the people were very leery of the way Moses looked, but eventually they got used to it and came near enough to hear Moses and to accept his words as from God himself. Well, Moses covered up his face for the comfort of his audience. He wore a veil when talking to them and he would leave it on until he went to talk to God again and then he would take the veil off while he spoke to God. Uh, He put the veil back on uh, to speak to the people again. The text seems to indicate that Moses did this on a number of occasions with some degree of regularity. What might've been God's purpose in creating this phenomenon? Well, two things it accomplished. Number one, it elevated Moses. It showed, it demonstrated that he was the mediator God had chosen. It also confirmed the message. Each message Moses brought out uh, with his face at least partially hidden by and glowing behind a veil, uh, it brought the reality of the presence of God to what Moses said. It confirmed the message. These were words coming from God himself. You know, there were a number of times people in the Bible encountered the brilliance of God's glory. Isaiah saw it, and the Apostle John did too. But both of them may have seen it more as a vision. Isaiah in chapter 6 of his book, and then the Apostle John in Revelation. Peter, James, and John saw firsthand Jesus transfigured in light. Paul and his entourage were blinded by a light from God but there's no indication that any of these people had a glowing face afterwards. We can only speculate that God made Moses' face glow with some of his glory in order to achieve his purposes in leading Israel. At first, with the initial giving of the law in chapters 20 through 23, God spoke in the people's hearing, but the people begged not to hear his voice. They wanted to have Moses deliver God's words. In chapter 34, God is working through Moses and is using this strange glow to elevate Moses and confirm that the message is from God. Well, as far as application, what are the takeaways from this? First of all, our failures do not derail God's plans. Israel failed miserably when they turned to worship the golden calf. But neither they nor their sin was strong enough to frustrate what God wanted to do. His intention was to make a people for himself, and he simply increased his commitment and promises to them, as we saw in the second agreement that he made with him in chapter 34. You know, we cannot frustrate God's commitment to us either. We read in the New Testament that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ we read that God is powerful enough to make all things work together for good to them that love God. Even the things that we do out of weakness or failure. And a really cool verse in in 1 Samuel, when the Israelites had asked for a king and then regretted it. Samuel told them, do not fear, but serve the Lord with all your heart for the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name. So why wouldn't the Lord abandon them? Because of his, the Lord's great name. It isn't based on the people and how faithful or unfaithful they are that God chooses to stay with the people or abandon them. It's based on his great name and his great name never changes. Well, the second takeaway we have from this is God continues to transform us into his likeness. The letter of 2 Corinthians uses Moses' radiant face and the veil he wore as a metaphor for several truths about the law of Moses and the glory of God. In one place, Paul highlights differences between the Old Covenant or Old Testament characterized by the law of Moses and the New Covenant or New Testament of salvation through Christ. Israel continues to have the veil of the law of Moses obscuring the truth of the gospel. So Paul writes, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Moses experienced the glory of God, but we have a privilege the children of Israel did not. We can experience the glory of God up close. As we encounter God through prayer, reading the Bible and experiencing his presence and work in us, we are being changed degree and degree. degree. Pretty amazing. In 1 John 3, we get an idea of the end of this whole process. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the truths of your word that you are at work transforming us, just as you sought to transform Moses, the children of Israel, and the rest of the characters in the Old and New Testaments. We thank you for your promise to always be with us, to never abandon us, and to work in our lives in that way. Lord, we're excited about the fact that we have this opportunity to change, to be changed from one degree of glory to another, that one day we will be like you because we will be in your presence, we'll see you as you are, and that will be that final transformation. We are so grateful for that. In your name, amen.